0: Matthew chapter number 16. This chapter opens up with Jesus in conflict with the Pharisees, and so oftentimes you'll find that Sadducees and Pharisees. It's interesting if you know the history, and we've studied this before in the past in Sunday School Hour. Those two groups despised each other the Pharisees believed in the spiritual realm the Sadducees did not they were uh, they were totally bound to uh, everything visible they did not believe in the resurrection they did not believe in anything that they could not touch and see that was tangible the Pharisees were bound to the traditional things And so they hated each other, they despised each other in many ways, but they were united in their disdain for Jesus Christ. They hated the truth, okay? It's amazing how even in our world today, people come together because of their disdain for Christianity and and for the Bible. And so he deals with them uh, and talks to his disciples about them in the first 12 verses. And then in verse 13, we find sort of a shifting of, of, uh, of, of the area in which he, he's, he's talking to these men. And in verse 13, it says Then Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, when he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he's asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you in these moments give us, dear God, the things that we have need of in this message. Speak to our hearts. and and. Uh, And do that work, dear God, that only you can do. And we'll thank you and give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all of it. If there be one here that does not know Christ as their Savior, then I pray that in this time today, that they might come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, we'll thank you, Lord. In your name we pray these things. Amen. So in his conversation with these two religious groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he ultimately tells them that they were a wicked and adulterous generation because they were seeking after a sign and after doing that after making that statement to them he turns his back on them and 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 walks away uh, not wasting any more of his time with people who had no desire to know the truth and and you know what sometimes it's better just to walk away rather than immerse yourself in an argument with people that are simply attempting to be argumentative. You can waste your life, spend a lot of time uh, in, in, in neutral, uh, revving your engine when nobody really wants to go anywhere. And so sometimes you have to determine whether or not there, there's a, a genuine opportunity for God to do a work, or whether or not it's better for you, rather than, than you getting caught up uh, in, in their type of criticism. And in fact, Jesus then has a private talk with his disciples, and he warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and what he's saying there is simply this, don't allow even the smallest amount of their critical spirit to infiltrate who you are, to infect who you are. Stay away from that type of spirit and that critical mentality, because if it ever creeps in, then a critical spirit becomes a cancerous spirit, okay? So, he's telling them, avoid that, don't, don't allow that type of leaven, that type of, of leprosy, that type of cancer, that type of infection to invade your life, it's better to stay away from them. After that conversation with them about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he leads them on a journey. So I want you to, I want you to get a picture with me this morning, and, and, uh, for a moment. He's taking them from religion. So where he's at in the region of Galilee, he's leading them away from the religious hierarchy of his day, and he's going to lead them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, when you read this, it almost seems like this is a journey that has no purpose in it whatsoever, uh, because it's it's quite a trip. Okay, it's a thirty-mile journey. Caesarea Philippi that, that is seated at the foot of Mount Hermon, 1150 feet above sea level on a terrace at the bottom of that, of that mountain. There are two cities, by the way, in your Bible that, that are called Caesarea. One of them is Caesarea Maritima, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. The other is designated as Caesarea Philippi, uh, in order to distinguish the two cities one uh, from the other. And it doesn't seem to make sense because they're in Galilee and, and they're confronting the re- religious hierarchy of his, of his day and then all of a sudden they go on this journey to Caesarea Philippi. And it was founded, by the way, let me give you just a little background as we move forward. It's going to be important background ultimately. Caesarea Philippi was founded by Philip the son of Herod the Great. It was called Caesarea in honor of, of uh, the Roman Emperor, Tiberius Caesar, and it was distinguished with the name Philippi, after Philip, simply so that you would know the difference between uh, the two cities of, of Caesarea. It's a 30-mile journey, okay? Now, understand that 30 miles today isn't, isn't a long distance. So when you talk about, I'm going to go 30 miles, you can go there and back in no time flat. We know that. But in this day, with, with the travel that they had, and the terrain that they were facing, you're talking about a travel of three, four, sometimes five days, depending on, uh, depending on their mode of transportation. But it was a, it, it was a, it was quite a journey. It took up the better part of a week. And so Jesus isn't just saying, all right, let's take a few moments, I want to pop you over here and show you a few things. He's taking the better part of a week out of their life, when you consider the journey there, and the journey back in, in particular, and I can't help but think that as they traveled, the disciples were wondering ab- about what this journey was all about. And the further that Galilee was in their rear view mirror, I-, I think the more they may have questioned what the Lord had in mind and where He was taking them. And by the way, Caesarea Philippi is a place where no respectable Jew would ever would ever go. Okay, if somebody said, you know, we were, yeah, we're hanging out in the casinos of Las Vegas, you're going to look at them and wonder why, okay? It's just, it's just, it's just not the place. It's just just not a place where you're normally associated with. And, uh, and, and, and so, um, though it was an oasis of life, it was a very beautiful place, and it's lush with vegetation, even to this day, very fertile northern portion of the Jordan River Valley. Uh, very beautiful setting, uh, and is the chief source of uh, the Jordan River, uh, and, and and yet it's a place that was, it was a place of degradation. We would call it Sin City. And so if he had announced to them, we're going to Caesarea Philippi, it would have raised their eyebrows. They would be wondering, why is he taking us here? Why Why are we going to this place? And so, it's only mentioned twice in the Bible, uh, in Matthew 16 and then Mark chapter 8. Both refer to the same uh, event where Jesus chose to reveal to Himself to the disciples as the Messiah. Uh, and here, uh, He announced His coming death in Jerusalem. So here's the question then, as we move forward. Why is it? Why did He take him here? Why, 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 why couldn't he have taught them what he taught them in these verses that we've already read? Why couldn't he have done that standing on the pristine shores of the Sea of Galilee? Why why couldn't he have done that there? Why did he go on this journey all the way to a city of pagan influence simply to ask them a question? So they make this long journey and they know that they've got to make the return journey and as they stand there, Jesus asks them a question, uh, Whom do men say that I am? And then he follows it with another question, And whom do you say that I am? And so there's a double-barrel question offered there, and and and, and for us that sit here today, the question might have arised in our minds, Why is it? Why, why in the world uh, would we make this journey uh, just to hear this question? Why not? In Galilee, now I want you to give me my first picture up here, and I want I want you to notice this because I want to show you two. I want to, I want to show you two slides here. This is this is the way it looks today, and if you could look, if you if you look at the different uh, um, uh, ancient ruins that are still left here, all along this wall, this is the this is a grotto, a cave in which there's a water source that in the day in which um, uh, these people are visiting here had a great more significance than just a, a bunch of ruins. Give me my, my next uh, picture here. This is how it looked then, okay? Now with that in mind, I want you to think with me for a moment and let me give you some description uh, of this place a little bit. The ancient Canaanites had built a sanctuary to Baal here. This, by the way, is located four, it's located uh, four miles from Dan where Jeroboam set up the the golden altar. Remember, remember as you read in the Old Testament, it says he sinned after the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Okay, so that's, that's sounded over and over and over again. So the reality of the matter is this is four miles from a place to where Israel went into idol worship and worshiped the golden calf in Dan and there was one in Beersheba. So, so this is a very, this is, this is located in a place that's, that's notorious uh, in the history of Israel and uh, uh, the golden calf was worshiped. The temple of Augustus was here. The cave of Pan or the grotto of Pan was here. It was a place where they thought was the gates of hell right behind this in that cave back there. They thought that was the gate of hell. They would sacrifice goats in it. Sometimes they would sacrifice human children in it. And if they sacrificed the child as it was tossed into the cave, if it floated, then their sacrifice was rejected. If it sunk, then it was accepted by the gods. And so it was an extremely pagan place. The, The temple of Zeus, the court of Nemesis, the goddess of vengeance. The, the tomb temple of the sacred goats. Now, I'm not going to go in today, all of the perverted things that took place there, simply su- suffice it to say, that there was worship through the form of bestiality, and, and all sorts of different things. The, the temple of Pan, and the dancing goats were here, and, 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 and the waters that came out of that cave, Came out of what at that time was called a bottomless pit. And so they thought that it was the the gate of hell. Alexander the Great uh, built a sanctuary here. And and the Greeks believed that this was the dwelling place of the gods. Now look at me, listen to me. This is the point I want you to get as we move into our message this morning. And that is simply this. This This is the epicenter. This is the epicenter. Of all pagan worship in that part of the world. I mean, no Jews coming here. No Jews going to walk to this place and say, I want to I check this out. No, they were afraid of it, okay? Pan, Pan, is, the god, Pan is the god of uh, the forest. All the spooky noises and all the haunting things. The Greeks and, and the, the, the people during this day felt like that came from Pan. When, when you get in a dark place and the, the hairs stand up on the back of your neck, that's because Pan was nearby. So there was a lot of superstitions, okay? A lot of, a lot of things that, that, uh, uh, that came from this place, but it was a place where, where the sacrifice of animals took place, the sacrifice of humans took place, and, 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 and it's an absolutely godless, it's ground zero of pagan worship. So here's Jesus in Galilee, and He says to His disciples, we're taking a journey. And He leads them on the better part of a week, and they arrive at this place, and and He decides, listen, at at this place, Titus, um, uh, with his army camped at Caesarea Philippi, uh, during the Jewish revolt of, of 66, sacrificed... Uh, 2,500 Jews here. Why? Because the Jews had another religion and he was sacrificing them to the polytheistic gods of the pagan lost world. And so 2,000 Jews had their blood spilt in this place in worship to these gods. And so here, where men feared their deities, here where sacrifices were made to pagan gods, here where the blood was shed that could never wash away a man's sin, here at Sin City, here at the epicenter of pagan worship, in the winter before His crucifixion, Jesus brings His disciples here to this place, not in Galilee, here He brings His disciples to this place so that He can openly discuss with them that He indeed was the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that He would die on the cross for the sins of mankind, okay? So this is not some, this is not some chance visit, okay? This is not some chance visit that He came here. This is God, the God of creation. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Okay, here He is. Jesus, God clothed in human flesh, standing near the temple of the little gods of man, unveiling to these men his big salvation plan for the world. Okay? So I wanna I wanna talk about I want to talk about the why behind that. Put that that slide back up if we could, guys, and let's let's just, just let that hang there for a little while, if we could. And they're saying, actually, thank you for coming to Caesarea. Uh, Philippi, okay? Now, stay with me. Everybody stay with me, all right? First of all, there's some lessons we're going to grab for this, okay? So, so when you see this journey and you see this place and you hear what Christ said there, what are the lessons for us in that, okay? The first lesson that I want us to grab from Caesarea Philippi is this, and that is that everyone's life makes a statement about Jesus. Now look at me. Nobody has, nobody has a neutral impact upon a church. Nobody. Nobody's life has a neutral impact upon, upon the work of God. You, 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 you can't just find neutral. And so that if you're in neutral and you're, and you're saved and you're doing nothing for God and you're having no impact for God, that's not a neutral impact. That's a negative impact. Because what that statement is is that I've met Jesus and He's made no difference in my life whatsoever. That statement is, yes, I'm saved, but, but big deal. What does that matter? So, so the reality of the matter is, is that none of, us, none of us have a neutral impact uh, with our testimony on our church or on the community that surrounds us. And so, and so every life, every life, your life and my life, they all make a statement about Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing he does is he gives them a general question, okay? So the general question is simply this, whom do men say that I am? Okay, that's 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 a pretty general question. What I want you to tell me what the word on the street is, Jesus says to them. Tell me what men. Now he's not talking about here, because because men here don't even know him. Men in this place don't care about him. They've got all their gods. Okay, I mean this is what what this is this is this is this is the the uh, ecumenical center of pagan worship. Whoever you want to worship, they're here. Uh, this is. This is where every god is at. This is where all the little g-gods are at. I mean, they worship animals. They worship everything in the whole world. This is the gate of hell. So this is where everything is at. And so these people, they have no place here for Jesus because he's not on their radar. So he's asking them, when he says, Whom do men say that I am? He's, he's asking them, All right, Now, I took you from Galilee, but I want you, I want you to tell me what people back... I want you to tell me what your people... You tell me what your people are saying about me i want to know i want to know what the word on the street back home is about me and and that was his that was his question to them what are the popular opinions now the answer is fascinating verse number 14 you might want to look there matthew chapter 16 because they have several several answers well some people are saying you're john the baptist now why is that why why would they say this guy's john the baptist well there, there's some, you know, there's some haunting things about how John died and, and, and that he had come back from the dead. But it, it's, it's, it's initially, I think, because of his boldness. John was a bold preacher. John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And so, I have no doubt that they thought he was John the Baptist because he was bold. Do you do remember how he looked at the religious hierarchy of his day and said basically this, you're, you're just whited sepulchers. You know, don't, you don't, he said to them, how would you like to come to church? Okay, so you come to South Valley, and I get up, and I stand up in front of you and say, hey, welcome today, generation of vipers. <laughs> now, how would you go home? Boy, it was great today in church. <laughs> Pastor Dean really made me feel good about myself. So here's Jesus, and Jesus says, says to these religious leaders of the day, you know what you are? You're nothing but a generation of vipers. Okay, that's pretty bold, all right? And, and, and so, so um, uh, they said he was John the Baptist. Then, the, then they said, Elijah. Well, why Elijah? Well, because of Elijah's power. Think of the miracles that, that Elijah did. And the, the, the things that took place in Elijah's ministry, were amazing some of them unprecedented it had never happened before you know there wasn't a manual here's a kid that died okay let me see page number 16 how to bring a kid back to life there's not there's nothing there so elijah goes in and lays on top of the kid and 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 is praying i'm sure and the kid sneezes and all of a sudden the kid comes to life and elijah is iconic in his day and time he says it's not going to rain guess what it doesn't do it doesn't rain then he says, it will rain, and it rains. Okay? The prophets of Baal are screaming and gnashing upon themselves, and Elijah stands there and makes fun of them, mocks them, and then he calls fire from heaven. Fire comes down and laps up the, the water around the altar, and the 400 prophets of Baal are slain. I'm just saying, why, why Elijah? Because he was a man of power. So the boldness of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Then Jeremiah You want to talk about the opposite of Elijah a little bit in our perception of him? Who's Jeremiah? He wrote the book of Lamentations. What does that mean? Take the short word of it, lament. He was the weeping prophet. He said, my eye runs down like a rivers of water. My my heart affects my eyes. I weep weep over the daughters of my people. My city is being destroyed. He, he He is the weeping prophet. And so they said about Jesus, he's he's John the Baptist, or he's Elijah, or he's Jeremiah, or some of them said, I don't know who he is, I just know he's, he's one of the prophets that's come back to us, because he spoke the words of God. Now look at me and listen to me. Every one of those statements are complimentary, but every one of them is also wrong. Okay. All compliments, all saying good things. But they're, they're all wrong. And I want to tell you that there's a part of this world that's very comfortable with a Jesus that is shrouded in their own superstition and their own religious mythology. They're really comfortable with that Jesus. They don't mind a babe in a manger, but they, they're, bothered by, they're bothered by a Christ that comes back in the book of Revelation whose eyes are as a flaming fire. They don't mind singing away in the manger, no crib for his head, the little Lord Jesus laid down his, uh, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. They don't mind that. What they do mind is I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Okay. And, and so th- th- there's a problem with that. Uh, th- th- it's, it's, a, it's a mythology that Jesus who shares his title as Redeemer with his mother Mary, the Jesus that is a co-mediator with priest and 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 in uh, popes the Jesus that's a god among many gods, who has a brother named Satan. I- I'm just telling you the Jesus portrayed in the shack. Folks, look at me. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's just it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, uh, a you know a, a god that that so the universalism where everybody's making it and everybody's good and everybody gets in on the on the ship, that all roads lead to God, and that Jesus is just walking uh, with all the people in their different journeys to God, whether they call Him Jesus, or whether they call Him Buddha, or whether they call Him Allah. It's all good. It's the same God, just a different name. That's not the God of the Bible. His rock, that's why He said, their rock is not as our rock. Okay, that's not the Jesus of the Bible, where there's no need for faith or reconciliation with God Because all people will make it to heaven. So whom do men say that I am? What they said was complimentary, but what they said was wrong. Then he asked them a specific. So first a general question. And then he brings it down to more specifics. And he says, whom do ye say that I am? Okay, now that you've told me what everybody else is saying, I want to ask you this question. Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And they were standing at ground zero of of paganism with the disbelief of their nation ringing in their ears. Okay, this is what everybody's saying about you. But who do you say that I am? And then comes the answer that is the answer of the ages. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now look at me. It doesn't matter what the world says. See that's that's really not what matters. Jesus is drawing a contrast He's removed them. He's removed them. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But he's removed them from their comfort zone. And he's saying, do you hear what people... He's drawing this out for their attention. Do you hear what everybody else is saying about me? Well, it's all wrong. It's not right. I want you to know that. Now, who do you say that I am? And the answer is, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do we as individuals have to say about Jesus. Did you know this? Did you know that your life is making a statement to people in the world? Did you know this? Did you know, did you know that people are going to judge God by you? It's in the Bible. Remember the three Hebrew children that were thrown in the fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, started out by saying, and who who? Huh. You kidding me? You're gonna get burned alive, boys. And who is that God that can deliver you out of my hand? You know who I am? I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I am deity. I am a God myself. I am worshipped myself. I've got power over you. I've had power over the nations. I'm the ruler of the known world. And I'll throw you in the furnace anytime I want to. You bow to my image or you die. After he threw them in, and the fourth, the Son of God, was walking in the furnace with them, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? He said, how many are in there? Well, there's four in there. And then he said this, he said, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If any man speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and he didn't say Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, you know. He didn't say uh, El-Rohi. He, did, he, did, he didn't say uh, Adonai. He didn't know those names of God. You know what he said? Here, here is who God is to me. He's the God of Shadrach. Meshach, and Abednego. And if you name the name of Christ, I want to tell you something. If you name the name of Christ, your neighbors around you know whether your car is in the driveway on Sunday morning or at church. And if your car is in the driveway, it impacts what they think about God. You see. So, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So everywhere we go, when we in the place where we work, uh, amongst even our family, okay, our life is making a statement. If you've got lost, look, if you've got lost members in your family, can I tell you this? Your, your life is probably going to be the only statement that they ever see in regards to the, to the validity of jesus christ and his claim of being the savior of the world it's not it's not whom do men say that i am that's the question that leads up to the most important who are you saying i am who do you say that i am what is your statement about me that's what jesus is asking them and so he uh, they're they're here now but they're not going to stay here they're going back to galilee and he's making this statement. When we get back there, I want you, I'm, I'm reminding you. I'm getting you to remind yourself of what everybody is saying about what we're doing. But now, when you go back, when you go back, your life has to testify of who I am. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much of them getting on a street corner. It was, it was with them living their life out. And when people look at our life, they're either going to say, Jesus must be the Christ because I've seen him in my neighbor's life or my family member's life, or there's nothing to it. Look at me. I'll go to my next point. Your life is the only Bible that some people will ever read. It's your life. So you better make it a clear statement with it. Number two, here's the second lesson I learned from this, and that is that God's purpose is bigger than our plan. God's purpose is bigger than our plan. Now, you remember Galilee. Let's go back to Galilee for a little bit. Alright, let's walk back to Galilee. Let's leave here, go back to Galilee and figure out why He brought them here. Because in Galilee, there was, a, there was a movement, there was a kingdom movement. They wanted a kingdom and they wanted it now. They hated the Roman government. Okay, They despised the Roman government. They hated the oppression that they lived under. And so, In Galilee, there was a, there was a, there was a large movement, uh, a passion for a kingdom and a passion for a crown. There was, there was a mood to organize a rebellion and throw off the shackles of, of Roman tyranny, okay? There, there was, there was a, a, a desire, there's a desire to become our own nation, to leave behind, to leave behind the. Um, the, the, the oppressive culture in which they live, okay? And so Jesus takes them away from their comfort zone, away from the Sea of Galilee. By the way, during this, remember we studied a little while back about Simon the Zealot and Masada? So there was a party, the Sakuri party, whose name literally meant the assassins. Their whole intent was to, was to kill at any cost the Roman oppressors and and to secure their freedom. And that's why why that handful of people wound up on top of Masada uh, and ultimately there was a mass suicide there rather than falling into the hands of of the Romans. Remember this, that after after he fed 5,000 people, do you remember where the Bible says that the crowd surged forward as one man? Why? To make him king. Everybody said, if he can feed us, if He can put food on our plates, if He can, if He can sustain us and take care of us, He needs, this is our King. And, and so they, they moved as one man to make Him King. Even in Jerusalem, even in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what are they crying? Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Save us now. So even in Galilee and in Jerusalem, in both parts of, 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 of the Holy Land, the crowds were like, get us out of this mess now. You, you lead us. We'll follow. They weren't looking for a cross, my friend. They were looking for a throne. They weren't looking for an empty tomb. They wanted a palace. They wanted to crush the people that were crushing them. And so Jesus took them away from all that. L- look at me. Do you remember that the disciples were caught up in that rush? So the disciples aren't walking around quoting scripture like, Beloved, blessed art thou. No. You you know the disciples were saying, Dude, we're in on this. This is the time. Let's do it now. And and remember in Acts? You you remember in Acts chapter 1? You remember what they asked him in the very beginning after the crucifixion as he goes toward the Mount of Olives where he's going to ascend to heaven. You know what the disciples ask him? Read it. Acts chapter 1 when you get home. Here's what they said. Lord, at this time, will you, will you, will you at this time establish your kingdom? They missed it. And Jesus said unto them, by the way, listen, Jesus said, it's not for you to know the day or the times. Everybody look at me. I'm going to say this. This is free, okay? This won't cost you a dime. This is absolutely free. Anytime you hear anybody targeting a date for the return of Jesus Christ, you can know immediately that they are not biblically and scripturally correct. Right. It's been going on forever. You're not going to guess it. Well, a, a fig leaf fell off, and a bluebird landed on, on a limb, and that's a sign. No, that's not a sign. You know who knows? You know who knows when Jesus is coming back? The Father. Stop! Stop all the stop all the foolish stuff that goes around. Every twenty years somebody's got a date, or every ten years they got a date, and every ten years they miss it. Okay, that, that's not up to us. That's up to him. So he says, he says it's not for you to know. Wait a minute, and then he says this. Listen, all power is given unto me. Remember he had said that. Then he says unto them. Uh, He says to them that ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. So here's what he's saying. No, their plan and your plan is a kingdom. I'm not setting up a kingdom now. I'm establishing a church. My purpose is more important than your plans. So I'm getting you away from Galilee and I'm bringing you right here in front of all this pagan garbage because I want you to know I'm not concerned about Rome I'm concerned about the souls of lost mankind that are blinded to the truth and don't know the truth and they don't know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They have no idea. This is what the world is worshipping here and so Jesus said, I'm getting you away from religion. I'm getting you away from the kingdom. I'm getting you away from all that. That's not that may be your plan but it's not my purpose. My purpose is bigger than yours and so you may be crying for a kingdom but I must Establishing a church. I want you to go into all the world. And here we are, 2023. And we heard from a guy that's going to Virginia to carry out the very thing that Jesus told them at at the epicenter of paganism. You know why? Because there's guys in that, that town of Bracy, Virginia that don't know Christ. Their families there. There are children there whose lives are going to be totally transformed because somebody's going to plant a gospel preaching church there and they're going to knock on their door and their family's going to come and they're going to get saved. There will be guys in the ministry. There are going to be guys in the ministry preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because somebody goes there and fulfills the purpose that God gave these men who were representatives of that, that early church. That's how, he, that's how he built. That's how he founded his church and let me just say this on a practical scale can I help you with this his purpose is always bigger than our plans right. and sometimes his purpose thwarts our plans and disappoints us wait a minute and discourages us and we're like that's not how I planned this no his purpose is bigger than what you planned. Mm-hmm. his purpose is greater than the plan you had drawn out and blueprinted for your life. His purpose is bigger than that. The Insleys would have still been in Wyoming had their plan been carried out. But God's purpose was greater than that. And, he, and, 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 and His purpose is always better, it's always best. And the question is simply this, Will you surrender your plans to his purpose? That's really what it boils down to. Last of all, and I close, and that's simply this. What this teaches us is that there's absolutely no, no substitute for the local New Testament church. There, there just is none whatsoever. Notice verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto, unto him, that's Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You are really saying, son, you didn't figure that out on your own. Uh, that ain't your idea. God revealed that to you. That's why you were able to make such a profound statement. Then he says in verse 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Oh boy, here we go, get ready. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now, do a word study on Peter, and here's what you're going to find out. Peter, that word Peter, means a chip off of a rock. It's like you take a rock and take a hammer, pop it one time, and a little chip falls off. God said, that's who you are. You're just, you're a chip off the old block. Okay? You, you're, you're just, you're just a slither, of what I'm doing in the world. And upon this rock, I will build my church. What does that mean? Well, the rock that he's referring to is that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The church is the pillar and ground of Peter. No. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Peter failed him. He denied Christ three times, and he cursed. Okay? Here's a faltering failing man of flesh and there are people in the world that say Peter is, Jesus built the church upon Peter, no he did not I stand here, I stand here every year on our Holy Land trips and I say to people that's not what the Bible say <laughs> not what the Bible say and we have our gods sometimes we've had, had secular gods there and the God says Jesus told Peter here that he's building a church and I tell my people, because after he says his deal it's my turn, okay and so after he says that, I said, no, 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 no. That's not what he said. You don't build an eternal church based upon the sinful man of flesh who will fail time and time again. What the church is built on is one statement. It's the gospel. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wait a minute. Guys? I mean, they're there. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In a figurative manner, I wish you could, so, so if you were here, we would be down here. And you have to climb up to get up here. This is on a plateau. And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples here, he's saying, upon this rock, the, 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 the rock is the confession of, but what he's saying is that confession—that confession—is greater than all this. You know the danger in a church is not the external things in this world. You know why? Because truth is always more powerful than error. Well, preacher, I got a neighbor that doesn't believe that. Well, just keep keep giving him truth. You're not going to persuade him, but God Almighty can. Just give him truth. Just tell him the truth. Here's the truth. The truth is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I didn't write that. He did. That's what God wrote. And so he stands at this place and, 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 and he says to them, um, this is how I will build my church and nothing that you see here, the gates of hell. My church is built upon truth and the gates of hell, which in reality is the epicenter of all false teaching, shall not prevail against it. Now, I'm going to close, but I want to say this to you as, as, as straight up as I can. He traveled two or three or four days, depending. We, we weren't there, so we're not sure. But the better part of a week he traveled to get here to make the statement that he, that he made. And it's been proven down through the ages. Think of the tyrants that tried to stomp it out. Think of Nero. Think of the Inquisitions. Think of the blood of the martyrs that stained the soil of Europe. Think of Smithfield, where the, where, where the head of Bible believers was stuck on the end of stakes for 30 miles on both sides of the road. Think, think of... Think of how this world was, was, was haunted and, and chased by religion. And yet what's happening today? There are gospel preaching churches all over this valley and all over the world that are sharing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It has borne the truth that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I want to say this and, and, and we'll pray. Look at me. Don't ever tell me that God has led you to worship Him somewhere in the wilderness or the back 40. Don't ever insult God. If you want to do that, you got the right to do that. But don't you ever tell me, well, this is my church. No, that's not your church. It's not your church to start with. It's His church. This church doesn't belong to us. We belong to it. This isn't something that man started. So the idea that I, you know, we're, we just worship God at home. Yeah, you got a problem. Because Jesus died for the church. Again, I didn't write that. He did. Okay. So, so don't tell me you're going off somewhere out in the back and that somehow by your authority, you're lessening the importance of the local church that he died for. Are you kidding me? He stood there and said, the gates of hell won't prevail against this. That's not your home. Okay? That's not your favorite spot on the Boise River. What the gates of hell won't prevail against is the New Testament church that is built upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every family needs a church family. We're not the only one, by the way. Don't ever let anybody ever tell you that. We're not the only one. Okay. This isn't the only source of salvation. We, we'll tell you the truth, but we're not the only people that tell you the truth. There are other people, and thank God for every one of them. They may not cross all their T's and dot all their I's like we do, but I'm grateful for anybody that gets the gospel out, especially in the day and age in which we live. So we're not the only source of truth, but we want to be one of them. And you need to have your life plugged in and your kid's are part of a church. Just thank God for the privilege of being, thank God that, that the thing that he talked about right there is still in existence today. I'm glad for that. Let's bow our heads. What is your life? What statement is your life making? What statement is your life making about Jesus? Is your life saying to your neighbors, He's real? Does your life say on the job to the people you work with, He's real? Is your testimony of Christ one that lets people know that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? Or if people, if they were to assess your life, would they just come to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter? That He doesn't really matter in your life? I hope your life's making a bigger statement than that. Let's live so that others that see Jesus will see Jesus in us. Our Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us and we pray that you'll bless um, this week. Lord, help us to serve you and to live for you and that we might um, have an impact on those that we come in contact with. Help us to be ever mindful of those that are in need of, of the blessing and the truth that we have through our relationship with you. If there be, be one here, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that before they leave this place that they'll uh, allow us the opportunity to show them a Bible. I know it's crowded this morning, Lord, and, and, uh, and yet I pray that, that uh, you would work on hearts and lives and, and uh, help us to make the decisions you'd have us to make. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Christ's holy name, amen.